Amen. I hope that you will, if you have not already, consider making a donation to the Annie Armstrong Mission Offering. Uh, it does, in fact, do great good throughout North America in helping to evangelize folks all over this continent. Uh, we're going to be looking at a church in uh, Philippi that was... Okay. Oh, I'm being waved at. Thank you, Sarah. Children, you're dismissed. Couldn't do it without you, Sarah. Thank you. While I'm saying that, I hope some of you will take the time to uh, check in with Sarah and say, Hey, I'd like to come by and visit Awana some Wednesday night. You should see this place on Wednesday night. Right, Sharon? It's amazing uh, what God is doing uh, in our children's ministry through our workers. Uh, we have very faithful, godly people that gather here every Wednesday night and share God's word with our young people. Uh, and it's just a joy to watch t- what's going on. So check in with Sarah and say, hey, I'd like to come and, and just observe one night and then, and uh, let her know that you're supporting her with not only your prayers, but uh, by uh, maybe considering being a part of Awana this fall. My thoughts, and I've shared these with Sarah, that... Uh, we've got like 40 plus kids right now on Wednesday night. I think we're going to have 80 kids in the fall. It's going to grow. It's continuing to grow. I saw a couple of the kids from Awana this, just yesterday. We had a, a, a gathering over at Stonehaven where we have a, a regular Wednesday meeting and several churches were gathered there yesterday in a block party and it was a unique and a blessed event. Uh, I saw people in there, you know, that were just barely walking and people who were older and barely walking and all together, all ages, all colors, all stripes, all churches. There was hip hop music and bluegrass gospel and it all worked. And it was a great, great day. And, uh, so anyway, uh, we see, uh, I saw a couple of the kids there and it was funny. Uh, they they don't normally see me outside of Wednesday night Awana. So you know how it is when you see somebody out of the element that you're used to seeing them in. It took them a while to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. But anyway, uh, take your Bibles and join me in Acts 16 today. And we're going to be looking at Paul's trip to Philippi. It was the first... Um, time that we know of, first recorded time, that the gospel of Jesus Christ reached the continent of Europe. Thousands of churches grew up thereafter, but this is the first. We're going to kind of take a travel through the book of Acts here, and particularly chapter 16, to see how that came to pass and see some of the things that they faced and what they did and what they went through in the first century are the same things that you and I face in the 21st century. And uh, we can see here what I would call a first century church for 21st century world. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, Paul is in Derbe in verse number 1 in Lystra. And he found a disciple there by the name of Timothy. Uh, The Bible tells us he was the son of a woman who was a Jewess, but a believer in Christ. And his father, though, was a Greek, and it doesn't mention that he believed. So most likely an unbelieving Gentile father and uh, a believing uh, Jewish mom. And uh, it says that Timothy was well reported of those who were in that area. 
And Paul, Timothy probably was saved during his time uh, when Paul had been there about five years earlier on his first missionary journey. And Paul refers to Timothy in other places as my own son in the faith. And so he, he wants Timothy to go with him because Paul wants to pour into Timothy's life. Paul is not just looking at what he's doing now, but he's looking down the road. He's looking to the future and he says, I want Timothy to be my disciple. I want to train him. And so he takes Timothy with him. And it says in verse 4 that they went through the cities and delivered the decrees to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, in order for us to understand what's going on here, as he says, they're traveling around this area, Derby and Lystra, Iconium and Antioch of Pisidia and that area. He says, uh, in fact, I think we have a map. If we can get the map up here, uh, this, uh, you see the red line there. That's, that's the, uh, the route that Paul goes on during this time, uh, in, in, in Lystra. And right now, he's right about here. There's Derby. And this is where he picks up Timothy and begins to take him on this missionary journey. Now, five years earlier, Paul had been in this area. He had gone from Antioch to uh, the island of Cyprus, went to Paphos, across to Perga, up to Antioch and Pisidia, and then over into Iconium and Lystra and Derby and planted churches all in that area and then returned from there back to Antioch. And so to kind of get you to this point where we're at in chapter 16, um, let's step back in time a little bit. Paul was persecuting Christians, persecuting believers in Jerusalem and around Judea and on the road to Damascus, which you'll see on the map right down here, Paul was going from Jerusalem to Damascus with letters from the elders there, the uh, the leaders of the Jewish religion, with uh, basically arrest warrants to bring in people who were of the way. And so on his way to Damascus here, after having overseen or been a part of the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7, Paul left and, and went to Damascus hoping to get more martyrs more believers thrown into jail and ultimately uh, put to death. And on that road to Damascus, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. He met the risen Lord. And in that meeting, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord, that I should uh, persecute you? Who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And on that road, Paul's eyes were open to the truth of the gospel. And on that road to Damascus, he turned in his heart. He repented and he became a believer. The one who was persecuting the faith now became its greatest evangelist, its greatest missionary. And he be- immediately began to preach that Jesus was the Christ. Well, he, uh, because of that here in Damascus, he had to leave, he had to flee at night and came back down to Jerusalem, and there he got into trouble, and they took him and moved him up to Caesarea. And from Caesarea, they took him all the way up to Tarsus, which is where he was from. And so Paul, or Saul at the time, is in Tarsus, uh, and he is... We don't know what he did exactly while he was in Tarsus, but while he's there, Peter goes from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, and in Caesarea, 
Peter wins to faith in Christ a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. And when the disciples in Jerusalem hear about this, they want to know what's going on. Why are you going in with Gentiles? And Paul explained to them what had happened and the vision that God had showed him and how that the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles there in Caesarea just as they had been given to the apostles in Acts chapter 2. And so they said, okay, well then. And in chapter 11, we're told that because of the persecution taking place in and around Jerusalem, the believers fled from Jerusalem and went as far as Antioch preaching the gospel. But they were only preaching it to the Jews. And then in Antioch, some Grecian believers, these are Hellenistic Jews. They were born Jewish. They were Jewish by birth, but they were Gentile in their lifestyle. They didn't grow up in Judea. They didn't live like the Jews. They didn't follow the Old Testament customs and laws. And so the Jewish leaders, the the Christian leaders in Jerusalem sent Barnabas from Jerusalem up to Antioch to find out what's going on in Antioch. And he gets there in chapter 11 and uh, he finds out that there are multitudes of believers, Jew, Gentile, Hellenist Jews that have come to faith in Christ because of these disciples that fled Jerusalem and went up to Antioch. And so he comforts them and encourages them. And he remembers that, you know, Saul, who was saved down here in Damascus and was now up here in Tarsus, that when God saved him, Ananias said that he was, or God said through Ananias that Saul was a chosen vessel to bear his name among the Gentiles. And so here's Barnabas in Antioch. He sees the situation. He said, we got a lot of uh, Gentile believers. I'd better call Saul. Okay? Some of you get it. And so he goes up to Tarsus and he brings Saul back to Antioch. And the Bible tells us that's the first time in history that believers were called Christians. And Saul and Barnabas taught the church there in Antioch for over a year and saw more souls saved. And in about chapter 12, Saul and Barnabas take a trip from Antioch down to Jerusalem with a benevolent gift for the Christians that are there uh, because of the persecution. And while they're there, they bring back a young man by the name of John Mark. And they come back to Antioch. Now, John Mark had been with them on that first missionary journey over here, but he left when things got tough and went back to Jerusalem. And so in Antioch, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit these churches that we started, that we planted five years ago, and let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas said, good idea. I'll get John Mark and we'll be ready to go. And Paul said, no, John Mark's not going. And they had such a disagreement, such a dispute that they split. They they couldn't get along on this matter. And so Paul chose Silas. And he departed from Antioch, and he came across to Derby and Lystra, and that's where we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 16. So Paul is there visiting these churches, and he finds out that they're doing well, but there's still persecution going on, and he's preaching to the folks there, and he goes around, and he, um, I left a big part out, chapter 15. I got too, I got out too far on my surfboard, Paul. Uh, nearly wiped out there. In Acts chapter 15, after that first journey, when they got back to Antioch, 
some Jewish believers from Jerusalem had come up to Antioch and they were preaching a false doctrine saying, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul disputed with them. They went down to Jerusalem. They had a conference about this. They say, hey, what's going on? Some of your guys are coming up to Antioch where we've got a, a good church going in and they're, they're telling us that you can't be saved if you're not circumcised. What's the deal? And they had this conference in Acts chapter 15, and they determined, no, that is not the gospel. That is not the truth. You do not have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. In fact, Peter put it this way. He said, we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we Jews, shall be saved even as they, those Gentiles, Peter put it that way because he, he, he didn't say, hey, the Gentiles got to get saved the same way we do. No, he said, no, we get saved the same way they do. And so it was clear salvation is not of the Old Testament law. It's not the law of Moses. It's the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And they wrote letters and gave them to Paul and Barnabas. And they went back and to spread this among all the churches that had grown up over the last several years and telling them these are the decrees uh, they gave them four specific things to follow in their testimony but he said you do not have to follow the law of Moses there is no circumcision required for your salvation and all the male converts said thank God and so Paul and Silas now leave and go back to they're here giving those decrees to the churches that they had established five years earlier. And then they make their way westward. And they want to come down here to what's called Asia Minor. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to preach. In fact, it says he forbade them to preach there. And then they wanted to go north into Bithynia. And the Spirit said, no, don't go. Now, I don't know about you, but... um, I've been told by people before, no, you can't preach here. Anybody ever been told that? No, you can't. No proselyting, proselytizing. You can't preach here. You can't preach there. I've been told that by people before. I don't know that I could ever say that the Holy Spirit told me, no, Brett, I don't want you to preach there. You know, the funny thing is, some Christians, you don't have to tell them, no, you have to tell them, Go. These guys were going, they were preaching, they wanted to get the gospel out, they wanted to establish new churches, but the Holy Spirit said, no, not here in Asia Minor, not up here in Bithynia. Why, did God not care for those people? Of course he does. But he said, you're not the right man and this is not the right time. The gospel did eventually go there, but Paul, uh, or uh, the Lord had a plan and he said, no. You know, sometimes God's directions in our lives are not, yes, do this, but no, don't do that. And God is sovereign over all, and he took care of this, and he led them through this. They, didn't, they weren't allowed to go north. They weren't allowed to go south. They ended up over here in a place called Troas. And here's where they found out why God said no. You see, there in Troas, a couple of things happened. One had to do with Paul's life. Um, Paul had medical problems, some with his eyes. And in Troas, Paul picked up a doctor by the name of Luke. Luke wrote 
the book of Acts. And notice, if you look uh, in, in, in uh, chapters, uh, or verses 6, 7, and 8, when he's talking about their travels there, he says, they. Verse 6, he says, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia. And in verse number 8, he says, they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. But once they get to Troas, he no longer says they. He says, we. Look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we, not they, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. He changes from third person plural, they, to first person plural, we. Why? Because Luke was in Troas. When Paul arrived there, he grabbed Luke and took him with him on his journey to Philippi. And so God said, no, not Bithynia. No, not Asia Minor. He's probably looking out for Saul or Paul's health here and say, Paul, you need a doctor. I got one for you in Troas. So I don't want you going to Bithynia. I don't want you going. But Paul didn't know that. He just knew that God said no, and he continued on to Troas, and that's where he picks up Luke. But also, and more importantly, in Troas, Paul sees a vision. And in that vision, he sees a man of Macedonia. That's across the Aegean Sea here. On the other side of the sea, right up here, you see Philippi. This is Europe. That's the beginning of it. Greece uh, runs down here. And Paul will eventually go there and eventually, perhaps, we don't know, all the way to Spain. But he began a ministry in, on European soil there at Philippi. And God said, I want you to go there. And he gave him a vision. And there's this man of Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia. And look what he says. Help us. We don't know who this man is. We have no idea. He's not, his name isn't given. But God uses this vision to tell Paul, I want you to cross the sea uh, the Aegean Sea and into Macedonia. And so the plea is for help. And notice what Luke writes here. He said, we, uh, after Paul had seen the vision, we assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Folks, the greatest help you can give people is the gospel. We do and we try to do and we should do a lot of good things and help people uh, with social issues and uh, oppressive issues and, and all kinds of things. You know, I mean, we feed the poor and clothe the naked and, and house people that are in need. We take a benevolence offering every month to help people that have financial needs. And all of those things are important, but they're all subordinate to the greatest help that we can give anyone and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ how horrible how frightful it would be to just help people in their physical needs and not give them the greatest message the greatest thing they need for their soul's needs listen it doesn't matter when you leave this world if you leave hungry or full. It doesn't matter if you leave rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you leave hurting or in perfect health. You're leaving this world. And you're going somewhere. And you will spend eternity in a place. 
And the Bible describes two places, and one is comfort and one is torment, and you do not want to go to the second. And the reason Jesus came was to give his life for your sins and mine. I am a sinner. I have enmity towards God in my heart. It was born there. There's a darkness and a chasm between a soul of man and the heart of God that God himself crossed when he sent Jesus into this world to go to the cross, take my sins, take your sins, and die in our place. And that is the only thing that this world must hear. The message that the world must hear is not a political message. It is not a medical message. It is not any message other than the gospel message that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead to save us. And so this man of Macedonia says, come over and help us. And they said, we will. And we will come and preach the gospel. So in verse 11, it says, they loosed from Troas and they came to the uh, Samothracia and then from, from, from there across to Neapolis and from Neapolis up to Philippi. Now, Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon. And for those history geeks, and I love history, uh, Philip of Macedon was Alexander the Great's father. And this city got its name about 356 B.C., named after Philip uh, of Macedon. And uh, it was called Cronides before that, but he renamed it after himself. And the Bible tells us here that it was a colony. What they mean by that was that Octavius uh, had planted a Roman colony there after the Battle of Philippi about 42 B.C. You've heard of Antony and Octavian and their uh, battle with uh, uh, Julius Caesar's uh, assassins, Brutus and Cassius. The last battle in that civil war took place at Philippi and uh, in Macedonia. There were old veterans there and they, they were discharged back to Italy. But some of the veterans remained in the town of Philippi and it became a Roman colony, a place where Roman soldiers would be garrisoned. And that Roman colony was called Colonia Victris Philippensium, the Roman uh, victory at Philippi. And so here is a town that's very Roman, very Gentile, very uh, not conducive to the gospel. Here's a town where there wasn't a synagogue. You see, Paul would normally, when he would go into a new town, the first thing he would do is go into the synagogue and declare the gospel of Jesus in that synagogue. Because he knew there he had common ground. The people there would understand. When he was talking about the Christ, they knew who the Christ was. They were expecting the Christ. They didn't know about Jesus, but they knew that the Christ, the Messiah, had been promised. And so he would go there and he would reason with them out of the law that Jesus was indeed the Christ. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. We know that because on verse 13, on the Sabbath, Paul didn't go to the synagogue. He went out by a river outside of town where a group of women were gathered in prayer. 
They didn't have a synagogue to go to. Uh, Roman, or excuse me, uh, Jewish tradition says that you have to have 10 Jewish males to form a synagogue. Well, they didn't have one, so they probably didn't have 10 uh, Jewish males in that area. But these women were gathered on the Sabbath in prayer by a river outside of town. Um, th- this tells us here that there was one of these women by the name of Lydia. She was probably Jewish. Or she could have been a proselyte, a Jew, uh, from uh, a Gentile proselyte to Judaism, because she is gathered on the Sabbath with these others praying. And Paul shows up there and begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these folks, and Lydia becomes the first believer there in Philippi. Notice it says that Lydia was a seller of purple. The purple there was a purple dye that was used to to dye the garments, and it was a very expensive dye. She was from the town of Thyatira, which is over back over on this side of the Aegean Sea, but she had business and a home there in Philippi. And Thyatira was known for uh, a dyer's guild uh, that they had there, and so she had this business, and she sold these purple uh, clothes cloths and they were very very expensive you're not going to find them at walmart okay um, you're going to have to go a little more upscale places that i probably don't go to this was expensive and so lydia being a businesswoman selling these purple uh cloths that were very expensive no doubt was a successful woman she was probably a, a fairly wealthy woman And she was in this prayer meeting by the river when Paul shows up. And the Bible says that God opened her heart that she attended to the things that Paul spake. Notice a few things here that are going on. One, God opened her heart. And listen, only God can open a heart. You cannot. I cannot. Only God can open a heart. Jesus said... No man cometh uh, can come to me except the Father draw him. And God was drawing Lydia through the words that Paul spake, through the preaching of the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Folks, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the cross that God uses to open hearts and draw people to Him. And she attended to the things that said that Paul spake. You see, there's three things going on here. There's God opening her heart. There's Lydia of her own will attending to the things that Paul spoke. All three have to be there. If God isn't opening the heart... If the sinner isn't listening and attending, and if there's not someone to speak the gospel, there will be no conversion. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so Lydia received Christ that day, and it says she was baptized in all her household. So not only Lydia, but her family. We don't know how many that is, but they all believed, and they all got saved. And what a glorious thing it is when you see 
Christian, uh, a person getting saved and then another and then another and a whole household. Um, I wish I had time to tell a story right now, but I don't, Paul. I got a real good story that fit real good right here. Maybe next week. Uh, but, uh, you know, when one gets saved, it just continues to go and grow and others hear and, and become followers of Jesus Christ. And so here we are. Uh, Lydia gets saved and then she says, hey, I want you guys to make my house your headquarters. No, 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 we're, we're, we're good. No, she insisted. You see, when you get saved, you want to do something for the gospel's sake. And so the first church in Philippi met in Lydia's house. My guess is she probably had a pretty nice house, pretty good size house. And she gave that to be used. Now, one of these days thereafter, Paul and those that were with him are on their way to the river from Lydia's house. And they run into a young lady, the Bible says, with a spirit of divination. In other words, she had an unclean spirit that uh, Satan used her in what we call fortune-telling or soothsaying. Now, I'm not going to get into demonology this morning. We could do that at another time. Most of the folks that, that claim to be fortune-tellers are just quacks trying to make money off people. But when Satan's involved, there's some real demon stuff going on. And this woman was possessed. And she was a slave girl. She had no authority of her own. She was owned by masters. And she followed Paul and the, and, and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke and others as they traveled out to the river to pray and she would cry out, these men are the, the servants of the most high God. And they show unto you the way of salvation. Every word she said was true. There wasn't one lie in the mix. She spoke the truth, and but it grieved Paul. And you think, well, Paul, that's free advertising. She's letting everybody know what you're here for. Listen, the gospel doesn't need demonic advertising. And Paul turned and he rebuked the spirit in her. She said she did this day after day, several days. And he turned and he said, get out of her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to depart. He did not ask the unclean spirit to leave. He commanded the unclean spirit to leave. He did not command in his own authority. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. And the Bible says that that unclean spirit left immediately. Folks, Demons have no authority over you in Christ. And Paul took charge here and said, get out. He delivered this young woman, this slave girl, from an unclean spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't say that this woman, this young girl, became a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't give us that information. I like to think she did. I mean... If you've been controlled by an unclean spirit and somebody commands in the name of Jesus that that unclean spirit leave you and it leaves, my guess is you'd be really thankful for that. But the Bible doesn't tell us she became a follower of Christ, but in my message, she does. Okay. Now, you, if you don't think she got saved, well, you can preach your own message. 
All right? But I think she became a follower. And, and if that's so, you've got the first two people in this brand new church, Lydia, a well-respected, highly thought of, successful businesswoman in Philippi, and a slave girl. You couldn't find two more different people in all the world. Right there in Philippi, both in Christ, both members of this brand new church. Listen, the church isn't just for one kind of person. The church is for all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter from whence they come. I'll just put this in as an aside here. It wasn't in my notes, but I think it's okay. Uh, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Some of the people that God is bringing to faith in Christ and will bring to faith in Christ don't look like you. They may have different pronouns than you have. They may claim to be this, that, or the other. You know, Paul didn't, when he preached the gospel to Lydia, when he preached the gospel to this slave girl, when he preached it here in a moment to the, to the uh, jailer there in Philippi, he didn't, he wasn't addressing who they were or where they're from. He just said, here's the gospel. It, it's, it's for you. Well, her masters didn't like this too much. And they drugged Paul and Silas downtown. And for time's sake, just, you know, they had them beaten and placed in jail. There's a lot we could say about that, but maybe I'll bring that up next week. They're beaten severely. They're put in stocks which were um, designed to bring more pain. And there they are in this prison for having done a very good thing. And at midnight, they started singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, they didn't really sing that, Alan, because that song hadn't been written yet, but that was a contemporary song years later. (laughs) But they were singing. Maybe Psalm 150. Maybe Psalm 113. I don't know what they were singing. They were praising God and singing and praying to God. And it says here that the other prisoners were listening to them and heard their praises and heard their prayers. And suddenly there was an earthquake. Now, seismologically and scientifically, you could probably point out why that earthquake took place at that time in that place with this plate and that plate coming together and all that. And you could explain it in natural causes. But whether, you know, I I don't think God just suddenly said, you know, we need an earthquake here right now. No, he probably had that planned from before the foundation of the earth, Mike, and said there's going to be an earthquake right here at this time on this date because I need something to happen in Philippi. And all of a sudden, this earthquake shook the foundations of that prison, and the Bible says that all the cell doors were opened, and their chains fell off. Now, I don't know about you, I might look at that as deliverance. Hey, let's get out of here. God has supernaturally delivered us. I don't know how many prisoners were there. Uh, it, It doesn't tell us, but from Paul's perspective, I'm thinking, okay, God's delivered us, Silas, let's go. 
But Paul wasn't looking at it as an act of God to deliver him and Silas. No, he, he saw a distraught jailer with his sword out about to take his own life. Would you have just run out the door? I mean, if, you just, if we're just thinking about our own selves, we would have hit the door running and not looked back. But Paul, who could have escaped and could have justified and said, look what God did. He saw this jailer about to kill himself and he says, hey, don't do that. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Which was a miracle in and of itself. And that jailer came in and fell down before Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had been listening to Paul's singing and his praises. He had listened perhaps when Paul was sharing the gospel because he knew, I need that. I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. I need what you have. And he came in and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It is faith in who Jesus is and faith in what Jesus did at the cross and in his resurrection that saves us from our sins. Faith is not simply mental assent or recognition that a thing is true. No, faith is trust. It is putting your trust. He came to a place, as Jailer did, where he knew he needed something he did not have. He knew he needed salvation. Have you come to that place in your life? You know, Lydia was a believer in God. She worshipped God, but she did not have salvation. She did not know Christ. The slave girl didn't know Christ. This jailer didn't know Christ. But there's no difference between the jailer, Lydia, and the slave girl. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and your house. Paul went that night and and spoke the word of God to the whole household. They all got saved and they had baptisms all night long. That jailer who had put Paul and Silas in those stocks and perhaps had taken part in the beating is now washing his wounds and helping them to heal. You see, when you come to Christ, folks, you change. He was beating on the man just hours earlier, and now he's loving on him. Paul understood that because Paul got saved on his way to hurt Christians, and he became a Christian. They were baptized. They had joy. They had faith. The next day, and I don't know why they did it, but the magistrate sent and said, let those guys go. And so the jailer comes in and says, hey, the, the official said, you can go. Depart in peace. Paul said, no, nah, not so fast. They put us in here. They beat us publicly. They put us in this jail publicly. You tell them to come down here and publicly escort us out. 
Paul knew that these Christians in Philippi were going to be forming this new church and that they would need to know, the community would need to know, that they weren't a bunch of rabble-rousers. So those magistrates had to come down there because they found out Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and they begged them to leave. They didn't command. They said, would you please go? We apologize. Just just come on out and go. And they left. The Bible says that they uh, went to Lydia's house, verse 40, last verse in the chapter. They entered into the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren... They comforted them and departed. So notice here the phrase that I want you to focus on as we close. He said, they went into Lydia's house and comforted uh, and, and saw the brethren. That's a familiar term, word, brothers. It's family. When they showed up in Philippi, there were no Christians in Philippi. And he says, now there's a family here. Your church is your family. You're saved and you're born again into the family of God. And so Paul and Silas left. Listen, their situation when they arrived there, what was going on in Philippi? Well, there was racism. They had slavery. They had slave owners. They had satanic influence. There was government opposition. There was no church building. There was no church committee. No steering committee. Yet when they left... There was a church in Philippi. They had no baptistry, but there were baptisms. There was no pulpit, but there was preaching. No sanctuary, but there were salvations. That's how it was in the first century. Paul's focus wasn't on all those other things. There was racism there. He didn't focus on that. Didn't say he went along with it. There was government opposition. He didn't try to politicize the people against the government. There was demon possession going on. What did Paul do? He focused on the one thing that will fix slavery, the one thing that can fix racism, the one thing that can survive under any government authority, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is hearts that must be changed. Laws don't change the heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ does. And that's what Paul focused on. In closing, I want to invite you this week to read the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Next week, we're going to be looking at that first chapter and talking about what happened there. About 10 years after this that we read today, Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi from Rome, and he's in chains. He's in trouble again, and he writes a missionary letter back thanking them. And it gives us some insight into that first century church. And the things that were important then are the same things that are important today. And we can learn lessons on how to be the church in Georgetown, just like they were in the first century in Philippi. Stand with me if you would. I'll ask our praise team to come as we close out our service. Father, bless your word. Thank you for Paul and Silas and the missionary trip to Philippi. Lord, help us to learn lessons that will help us in the 21st century to serve you and be as this church was in the very first century 
of existence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.